What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. We've got a favor to ask. If you have found us, make sure that you subscribe. Now, it depends on the platform you're on. Some some places you will find the subscribe button. On others, it will say follow. But if you do that, if you hit that button and then you hit notifications on, you will get access to all of our old episodes for free. And a lot of those I think you'll still find very interesting. And then you'll be able to get every new episode as soon as it posts. Now we're going to break from format here a little bit. I feel like I say that every other episode, Chris, but we have not typically released a lot of episodes on Friday. We tend to go Monday through Thursday. So we're going to try something a little bit different here today. We were going to actually tape yesterday, but you, of course, were stuck in a meeting for 10 hours, and we're going to get into the reasons (laughs) for that here in a minute, not eating and trying to save uh, cell phone juice. But basically, what we're going to do today is something called the Friday Sports Dump. So we're going to take a look at some of the things that happened late this week and try to summarize them. Of course, this is based on the Friday news dump that you'll often find from entities like, say, the White House, which is if the three millionth person is leaving the White House, they put it out Friday at seven o'clock so that the national outlets cannot react to it. So this is right. a little and, bit of and, a- and I, I, it's funny because uh, I watched the net. I've seen the West Wing on Netflix two times every episode because I have no life and it's just kind of what I put on the background. And it was funny because they explain the Friday news dump in the West Wing and it's actually kind of an outdated concept because it's basically centered around how nobody buys the Saturday newspaper. Yes. And so you'd put things on, you put things out Friday afternoon so they would be on the Saturday newspaper, but I feel like that concept is slightly outdated in that Twitter and cable television are sort of all-consuming and really can be you know, switched on at any point in the day. Well, that's true, and, and part of the premise of our network is your sports, your schedule. So we, we were allowing people to sort of download the episodes whenever they want, which is not something that you get from some of the traditional outlets. But you're right about Saturday newspapers. I mean, whenever I had something good, for whether it was the Sentinel, the Herald, or the Post, and I had it on a Friday, it was wait until Sunday. Don't put it out on Saturday. Nobody reads the paper on Saturday. And we have found a little bit with sort of our internal statistics that Friday is not our biggest day. So we're going to try to change that. We're going to do this thing called the Friday Sports Dump. We're going to cover two things in particular on this podcast. For our Heat followers, which we know is about 90% of our audience, 
we're going to get into the Wayne Ellington thing and the signing and what that means and a text that I got from a source last night that made me think that something else could be coming here. And then we're going to get into your day yesterday, which sounds absolutely awful. And we're going to get into what it means for soccer in this market. So let's start here with Wayne Ellington and the signing yesterday, Chris. The announcement, uh, I think Barry actually had it first in the Herald, uh, one year, $6.27 million for Wayne Ellington. Before we get into what this may mean for the Heat, I'm going to say this. Fiscal sanity has returned to 601 Biscayne <laughs> Boulevard. Okay? <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, I was waiting for the four-year deal uh, for $45 million. So to get Wayne Ellington for one year, 6.27 at this stage, I know the market had dried up quite a bit. We've talked about that. But one of the reasons the market dried up is because I think Wayne could have gone to a lot of other places earlier in this market. And he decided that he wanted to stay in Miami. And clearly they told him, hold out. We're going to take care of you or at least get you a deal that you're comfortable with. Don't go anywhere else. And so I think that's what happened. This contract is about 185th of all the contracts in the NBA right now in terms of average salary. I think that's a fair price for a guy who shoots 38% from three, is reliable, is professional. His teammates like him. His coach loves him. I just think this is, I mean, there's nothing bad to say about this deal, right, Chris? No, I, I don't think so. In terms of what he provides, I don't think there's anyone who comes near him in terms of reliable three-point shooting. And the way in which they started using him last year and the year before was almost like they treated him like he was their Ray Allen. And they were running him off screens and doing all the things that you do to get three-point shooters open. I've not closely studied the career of Wayne Ellington, but I would doubt that there was a place that used him in quite the same fashion. That treated him as, oh, he's our sharpshooter. We're going to get him as many open looks as possible and I think by the way and maybe you can correct me at large stretches of the last two years I feel like Wayne Ellington above any other heat player on the floor particularly in late game situations particularly when in need of three situations if you're kind of you know working on a heat scouting report he might be the first player that you want to negate because he's such a good three-point shooter and he's done enough defensively to make himself salvageable on that end of the floor and I agree I think it's a really good signing the one thing that it begs the question now is where do we go from here because now the heat are over the salary tax Bobby Marks just tweeting this that they're over the tax by 3.2 million their scheduled tax bill will be 4.9 million I doubt Mickey Harrison want to play it so it does seem like there's another move to make but Let's start first on the basketball element of this. Like, it does feel like he is an important part of what they do. Yeah, I think he's a very important part. And look, you can never have enough spacing and you can never have enough guys that you can rely upon. And the fact that he is such a willing three point shooter, too, I know that, you know, that's one of the things that Spolstra really has worked with him on is look, shoot it 10 times, shoot it 11 times. Like the numbers go in our favor the more that you shoot it. You know, if you're a 37, 38% three point shooter, you know, that's the equivalent of a 57, 58% two-point shooter. So, I mean, in terms of points per possession, you're talking 1.16 per 100 possessions. That's really, really good. Like, that's top of the league good. So you want Ellington shooting as much as possible. And so for me, this is absolutely a no-brainer move. Again, fiscal sanity returns to the heat. And, you know, I like it in every which way. And I know some listeners will be like, okay, now in a, in a year, they're going to give him that four year, $50 million contract, but let's worry about that in a year for this year. I, I you know what? I think, I think it's going to start to now maybe because th I think there is going to be another salary cap space boon. That's going to happen again, because once everyone gets off of their 2016 deals, they're going to have a bunch of money again. And it's not like teams are afraid to spend money. 
But at the same time, I do think that it's not just the Heat that are going to have to enter an era of, phys- of fiscal responsibility. The whole league does. And mm-hmm. so I do think that there it, there just has to be an adjustment from what happened two off-seasons ago in 2016. And the league has to change their mentality on overpaying role players. I think they way overinflated the amount of money they started giving to kind of average guys. And I think you've seen it in this off-season. The reason why I think the Heat still have Wayne Ellington is because... Everyone around the league is either giving out one-year deals to preserve their cap space or just saying we're not going to make those kind of long-term big-money commitments. And maybe this is just an era in the league where there are just fewer dumb teams willing to make those mistakes. Well, you see that a lot of the dumb teams have been taken over by smarter people, right? right. Like, look at, look at what Sean Marks is doing in Brooklyn, which I yeah. think is brilliant. I mean, he's digging them out of that hole. Now, it's going to take him a couple more years before they can really turn the corner, but you can see what he's doing there. It's interesting to me. I, I put this on our DM string today. The San Antonio tree around the league is having a huge, huge effect. I mean, you look at the success that Brett Brown is starting to have in Philadelphia. Obviously, uh, Bud's getting another chance up in Milwaukee, but he had success in Atlanta until they gutted it. And then you look at what Sean Marks is doing. Dennis Lindsay with Utah has done a great job, I think, managing that situation. So what you're seeing is people are coming out of the smarter organizations. Of course, with the Heat, nobody ever leaves, right? That's the thing. But <laughs> but in, in, in San Antonio, they do leave. And I think we're starting to see the league be populated by more intelligent management. And I think that's had a big effect. So my thing with Ellington was always, you know, a team like Philadelphia, made a lot of sense because you know you're talking about his hometown and they obviously wanted to add more shooting but when they made the deal for Wilson Chandler that kind of took them out of the mix so for Miami I think it's a great move all right so what does it mean that's the next thing sure and I will I will tell you that I I did get a text from somebody who has been pretty trustworthy in terms of sort of knowing what's going on with the heat not in the organization but deals with them and he basically said be ready (laughs) okay that something else is coming down the pike here so I know from a luxury tax standpoint the Heat don't have to do anything right now. They could come into the season with this roster because the way that the tax works, it's at the end of the season. So as long as they clear out the money before the end of the season, and we've seen them do that before. If you remember the Mario Chalmers and Chris Anderson moves that they made, those were made in season to clear out luxury tax money. Joel Anthony, that trade was made in season. So the Heat can still do that. To me, the question is this, though. Are they really going to come to camp with six shooting guards? I mean, really. And the sixth is Dwayne. And so they did not give Ellington the exception money. So that is still out there for Dwayne. So if he wants to take it, he can have it. I mean, that would be my assumption right now. I did mention on a previous pod that I have heard some rumblings that he wanted to try to get a little bit more money, but the Heat don't have any more money to give. So unless he's going to go to Los Angeles, let's assume he's coming back. I don't think Ellington's return affects him from a basketball standpoint. They are as opposite as two players can be, right? So, like, I I don't think we're not talking about crossover in terms of the two of them. But there is a lot of crossover between Dwayne and Dion, And so, to me, what you're looking at here is you've got to clear out Tyler Johnson or Dion, And I don't know why the Heat would get this deal done with Ellington yesterday unless they have something else they're working on. Because if they've already gotten Wayne to wait this long while the market dried up, what was the harm in Wayne waiting another week, another two weeks, right? Like, I mean, because who around the league is in a position to steal him right now? The Lakers might be an option. He'd be lethal next to LeBron. They don't have as much money as the Heat could even give him. So the way I look at it, there is something going on, Chris, because they would 
there's no point in announcing this yesterday. Like the Heat have consistently withheld these kind of moves and not allowed. And some of the people that got it yesterday are people who deal with the Heat, some of the people in the media. So if the Heat did not want this out there, it wouldn't have gotten done. So that's why I think we're not far away from a Tyler Johnson move or a Dion Waiters move or maybe both. And I also think you could see Rodney Magruder move somewhere as a throw in because he's kind of a useful piece here. So, you know, for 1.5 million. So that's the direction that I see this going. Yeah. And we've talked about it a ton. I think those two guys that you mentioned have zero or negative trade value at this point because Deion Waiters is still on three years coming off a major injury off a major recovery that Pat Riley has given public indication is not entirely you know confident that he's even going to be ready for the start of training camp so I just don't see how those are the moves that are out there and frankly what the moves are because we've discussed any number of ways that I just I see an inflexibility with the roster right now in really making a trade that can change things so I don't know what that next move is going to be. I think if they pull this off, a salary dump, without giving up first-round picks, without giving up young players currently in the team, I would be stunned. And so I would be really fascinated to know what that next move is going to be. But let's sort of go off into the assumption that they just bring this... It's basically the same team as last year with healthy Dion, right? So you mentioned six shooting guards. So for you, that's Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington... Rodney Magruder, Dion Waiters, and Dwayne Wade, correct? Yes, that's the group. Okay, so how many of those guys do you do you think could reasonably play at the one or the three? Josh can play at the three. They've mm-hmm. played a lot of, th- obviously, I mean, that was where he was starting. Now, they've played a lot of three-guard alignments. If you go mm-hmm. back to the previous year, remember, they were closing a lot with Goran, Tyler, and Dion. So they went really small. And at other times, it was Goran, Dion, and Ellington. And sometimes it was Goran... Tyler and Ellington. So I do think they can close with some of those groups. But now you're throwing Dwayne in the mix, and that's a guy who you want to close, right? So to me, that's the problem. It's not so much during the game. Like, they don't have a backup one on the roster either. I mean, we, we've we talked ourselves into Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson at that spot at times, but let's be honest. I mean, neither have sort of the court vision to play that position. Neither has been comfortable playing that position, just running pick and rolls from the top. I mean, it's not, it's not what they do. So I would rather they have a real point guard behind Goran, particularly now, you know, Goran's in his 30s. His body does break down at times, right? I mean, he's admitted that at times, you know, he gets worn down. So to me, I think they need someone who can actually take those minutes. Now, I know a lot of fans have suggested that Dwayne take those minutes, right? That you essentially have Dwayne playing as a backup one. It's not a terrible idea. He's done a lot of it. And obviously, it's where he started his career. He's done a lot of it over the past year and a half. And he and Goran, as we know, don't fit that well anyway. So having Dwayne kind of to pick up Goran's minutes. But Chris, who do you close with? Again, the value that Dion brought you two years ago was him closing. <laughs> so, right. so, and you're not going to close with Dion and Dwayne. Like, I, I just, I don't, I mean, to me, if Dion, Dwayne, and Goran, okay, well, then where's Josh? I mean, you want Josh on the court at the end of games. So they have to thin it out. And it's not like we're just saying this or just looking at the numbers. Riley said it. <laughs> Riley sure. said our roster is unbalanced. So if you're adding Wayne Ellington and you, you want Dwayne Wade back, you're saying we have six of these guys and and the other thing is if you're going to put Josh a lot at the three then you have justice splitting minutes 
with James Johnson at the four, then you don't get to a, many of those Olenek bam combinations that actually, if you look at the numbers, were really effective last year. And then, of course, you know, you have white sides still. So, you know, are you just going to split 48 minutes between Bam, Olenek and Whiteside because you need minutes for James Johnson and Justice Winslow at the four? Or, you know, is Justice going to play some backup one? Look, they have a lot, a lot of options. Like they have as many options on their roster as virtually any team in the league. That's not the problem. But a lot of them are B minus to B plus options. And a lot of the pieces don't fit that well. So something's coming. I, they don't make the signing of Wayne Ellington semi-official yesterday without knowing that they have a deal for either Tyler or Dion. And I guess the question becomes, who is more valuable if you're another team, Chris? Is it three more years of Dion coming off ankle surgery at a total of about $33, $34 million? Or is it two years of Tyler Johnson healthier at this stage, but two years at close to, what, $39 million dollars. I almost wonder because because we're talking about I, I I would presume some of it is to clear salary cap space and some of it is to get under the tax. I almost wonder if the most valuable asset in Richardson is the most valuable asset just by you by virtue of how young he is and how promising he is, but you're not trading him if you value him as a future asset. In terms of the veteran players, the most valuable player out of all of them is Wayne Ellington. And so I almost wonder if they kind of kick the can down the road and see if maybe a playoff team, a Houston, I think he'd be perfect for Houston. A Houston decides to trade for him rather than any of these other guys sort of going on to another team that you can get maybe a good second or a late first for Wayne Ellington for a team that wants to make a playoff push, that he can be one of those kinds of players that a boy Bogdanovich was for the Washington Wizards a couple of seasons ago. So I almost wonder if that's the mold of move that they try to make because, yeah, they're over the tax now, but you don't have to be until the end of the season. And so I think they have a few more months to make this decision. I don't think they necessarily have to make a trade now, but I just sort of, I don't know how you make this move without giving up something that you value. You probably have to. The other thing on Wayne is uh, he got a no trade in this also. Now, I would assume he would waive that to go to some of the teams that would want him because they would be teams that would value him and but but th- this is the other thing about it. If Golden State is going to be that dominant again next year, and we're assuming they're going to be more dominant if they get anything out of Cousins, is there really going to be a team out there that's going to feel if we get Wayne Ellington, we have sure. a chance to beat the Warriors? I, I, to me, that's, that hangs over all the proceedings here. But you know what? I think they will because we won't have seen Boogie Cousins even anywhere close to his best and perhaps not even play by the February trade deadline. Like, there are reports that he doesn't play until February. Now, there's also, you know, kind of a thinking that maybe he can come back at Thanksgiving and you get a better picture then. But, I mean, what if Boogie Cousins doesn't play at all until the trade deadline and, you know, Houston still thinks that they're close or, you know, Boston in the East or Philly and, you know, maybe somebody else in the East emerges. Like, I, I do think that there's, there, oh, there's always going to be a team that talk themselves into we can get to the finals, we can give ourselves a chance, and maybe we need one more player. I think that's the best hope that Miami has to get off this glut, to get off of this redundancy that they have in the backcourt without it you know, necessarily leading to them making themselves worse in the long run. All right, before we get to the possible big move here that they can make, um, just sort of a one-word answer here. More valuable to another team at this stage, Dion or Tyler, for the contract. Dion, just because it's so much less. I mean, at least Dion Waiters can give you, at his best, 
return the investment, right? Okay, yes, you're paying him $11 million and maybe, or, or I don't even know what the number is. It might be 12, but it's not $19 million. Like $19 million better get you one of the three best players on your team, not a nice role player. You can afford to have a nice role player on 12 million. You cannot afford to have a nice role player on 19. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And and that's even with sort of my concerns about how Dion comes back in terms of in shape and from the injury and, and all of that stuff. All right, so what is the possible big move here? Now, obviously Kawhi is the one guy who's still out there, okay? And, and the Spurs, have done some interesting things like Tony Parker's gone. Okay. They did not match Kyle Anderson, which surprised me. And I think showed tremendous restraint, the restraint that the Heat did not show with Tyler Johnson, right? Like the, the fact that Kyle Anderson, who was a really valuable piece for them last year, now he's a unique player. He has to be in the right system. But the fact that they did not match him at what was actually less money than what Tyler Johnson was offered by Brooklyn shows the fiscal restraint of the Spurs and also the climate that we're in. But it also makes me wonder what's going on there, Chris, because, I mean, are you just basically going to ride it out with Kawhi and not trade him at this stage? Because you've just given up sort of his replacement, who was going to be his replacement small forward, who played a lot of the Kawhi minutes last year in Kyle Anderson. So, look, we've heard that the Spurs and Heat have had ongoing conversations. And so, clearly, there's still interest there from the Heat. So can you make a play for Kawhi still, the fact that he has not moved? And there's another name that we got to talking about a little bit on our DM string yesterday. And and to me, this one would make some sense. Might the Spurs move LaMarcus Aldridge too? Because again, remember, Pat Riley tried to get LaMarcus Aldridge three years ago. I actually talked to LaMarcus about it. He was really secretive about the details of that meeting. He didn't want to get much into it, but we know that Pat basically went to him armed only with a mid-level contract and said, if you take this for a year, we'll take care of you. He is the closest skill set, not defensively, but offensively, he's the closest skill set to Bosch, I think, that currently exists in the league. I think there's some Bosch in Horford also, but there's a lot. And, and Marcus Aldridge, look at the numbers. He had like a career best season last year. Like the metrics were tremendous on a team where he was double teamed a lot because they didn't have Kawhi. So do you think possibly there could be a play for the Spurs' two big stars. Definitely. I think the the Spurs are in a place right now where I think they've kind of lost some leverage because teams are not willing to part with their good stuff unless you're the Lakers. And even the Lakers are like, well, let's see if we can get him in a year because Magic Johnson has taken that approach and it worked for him. Now, he was thinking maybe he'd get Paul George, but he ended up with freaking LeBron. Like, I think he is in a place where he feels like he can wait. I think LeBron, uh, yesterday it came out that he followed all the young players on Instagram, and now we're going to read into that as why he's down to play with them. But I do think that LeBron has at least showed a willingness to play with those young players, and let's see what happens in a year's time. If they still have salary cap space and they can go and get Kawhi Leonard, then why not? So if that primary destination is dried up. If Kawhi now has pivoted to the Clippers and the Clippers have nothing to offer, then of course Miami can can summon a great offer. And maybe the Spurs just decide, you know what, as long as we're trading Kawhi, let's say the Sixers come in with a good offer, right? Then if you're the Heat, then you call and ask about Aldridge. And if you're the Spurs, you kind of have to think about it because unless you're getting someone who helps you be good now, 
they might just have to say, okay, we're going to really, you know, go, go for young players and see if we can rebuild this thing from the ground up and Pop can work his magic over the next few years and, and sort of building them up before I think eventually departing because the reports are that the 2020 Olympics is what he's targeting at his end date. I wonder if this situation almost kind of reinvigorates him in some respects. But yeah, I think you definitely make those calls. And I think, I still think my offer would be on the table for Kawhi because unless the whole obsession is with Southern California in particular that he wants to play in specifically Los Angeles because, you know, he went to San Diego State and he has family there. Unless that, unless you know that to be the case, it is specifically based off of being in that geography. Well, the difference between the Heat and the Clippers to me is none. It's a warm weather, nice, glitzy entertainment city where he can be the star of the team and probably increase his profile from what it is in San Antonio. Like, to me, it's not that much of a different proposition than what LA is. And so... If I'm the Heat, I'm banking on the fact that I think I can get him to re-sign. And so I'm, I'm absolutely making calls. And nothing is off the table for me. And if I were Pat Riley, I'd be trying to pull off the Kawhi move because you need someone through the door that is going to get other players through the door. And so I would absolutely be making those calls. And we've heard about Kawhi possibly to Toronto. And, and I that's a fascinating situation to me because I don't know if he would want to go there, if we're talking about his profile. But I do know from a basketball perspective, the Raptors make a hell of a lot of sense. I mean, even if they have to move DeRozan to get him, sure, they get better defensively. Lowry is still an effective player. I know people have issues with him in the playoffs, but he's still a very effective player. It's the best bench in the league. They would be right there with Boston to me as the co-favorites in the Eastern Conference to get to the finals with Philadelphia just a little bit behind. So uh, Toronto getting in the mix is interesting, but that's about as far away from Los Angeles as you can get. I'm with you. I think if you can get Kawhi, I've said it. Uh, We've talked about how many assets you need to give up. To me, if there's four, you definitely give them up. If there's five, you think about it. If there's six, no. But, But I think that you can definitely make a reasonably good pitch for Kawhi because it does appear, as you said, that the market has dried up a little bit. As far as Aldridge, I find that one interesting too. Um, Now, he signed an extension. He signed for two more years at 50. And, you know, I know some people look at that and say, that's a lot of money for a guy who's already 32 years old. But when you look... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. 
If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Look at the numbers last year. They really were exceptional. I mean, he had his highest offensive rating of his career. He's an 85% free throw shooter which for a guy who does get to the line some, now I know he shoots a lot of mid-range jumpers, but that is very helpful to your team. He's not Bosch as a defender in terms of where Bosch got to in Miami, but he's not awful either. And he, I think he's willing. And he's a pretty good team guy. He's been the face of a franchise, so he kind of knows how that works. So look, if you can get both, and maybe the Spurs would be inclined to do that because if they're going to go free full rebuild, what do they need two more years of LaMarcus Aldridge at 50 million for? So I think it's an interesting play if they can they can look at that. And remember and they were again, and remember they were they were pretty close to trading him a year ago too. And he, right. he he had told Popovich that he wanted out. Right. And obviously he related well to Riley. I mean, he gave Riley a meeting. Uh, let's go back to that. He gave Riley a meeting when everybody knew that the Heat had no money and no way to clear money either. It wasn't like, okay, I can clear money for you this year. It was no sign for one year at the mid-level and we'll take care of you down the road if you like it. And he was actually, I heard he really liked that. Like the Heat came in second, okay, in terms of that, <laughs> ahead, of, ahead of the Lakers, all right? So I just think that it's something to look at. I think if you were bringing Kawhi and LaMarcus Aldridge here to Miami, people would get excited about it. And I do think, uh, you know, it would attract some other players. And I think Aldridge's game will will age well in the same way that Bosch's game would have aged well if Chris hadn't gotten sick. So I think it's something to look at. All right, so we'll be we'll be monitoring that all of next week. Obviously, if something happens, we will break in with an emergency pod and cover it. I want to tell you about a new sponsor to the Five Reasons Podcast family, and that is Soccer Zone Indoor. It is a collection of pitches in the Miramar area. They're on the intersection of Miramar and Flamingo. They have pickup games. They've got training and classes to learn how to play soccer and party areas as well. Tons of great amenities there at Soccer Zone Indoor. Wall-to-wall air conditioning, so you're not going to get sweaty. It's not going to be way too hot there. Three separate pitches to go and play with the highest quality turf. A conference room, a teaching room, three different party areas. Flat screen TVs with soccer on it all day. They're going to be a great spot to check out for the World Cup. A great spot to check out if you want to play some pickup soccer. They've got some local clubs going through as well. I know Ethan has got his daughter in classes there as well. So it's a great place to practice soccer. It is sent located again on the corner of Miramar and Flamingo you can get there from just about anywhere in South Florida it's a really cool area if you want to check out Soccer Zone Indoor they're also online at SoccerZoneIndoor.com and at SoccerZoneIndoor on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat and Twitter as well plenty of social there Soccer Zone Indoor the place to go and play pickup soccer and enjoy the game of soccer in a variety of fashions including having kids parties as well so check it out SoccerZoneIndoor.com so I want to get to your day yesterday, Chris. Uh, are you still there, by the way? Are you <laughs> yes. Still- <laughs> this podcast is live from the Miami City Commission. <laughs> so uh, you got your introduction to, to Miami politics. Um, I did, yes. Which is an awful, awful, awful experience. And <laughs> you have a vested stake in this, I know. Sure. Um, you are, you are the, the host of the Pitch Invasion pod. Uh, you are a soccer guy by heart. You desperately want this team 
in Miami. You feel Beckham's frustration. I do find it interesting, before we get into the details of this, that the Marlins were so toxic under yeah. Jeffrey Luria, so toxic, okay, and did so much negativity. And, and, um, and it came up a lot yesterday, too. It came up a lot. Not only, not only do we have this view of the Marlins that is going to be hard for them to dig out of, but that two of the biggest icons in sports over the past 15 years, 20 years in Jeter's case, right, have come to Miami to try to build sports in this market. Derek Jeter and David Beckham, not just sports stars, but literally international sex symbols, okay? Have, <laughs> right? yes. okay? People who okay. are world famous. Okay, one who dated all of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And the other and the other who is still on fashion magazines, yes. men's and women's, okay? Yes. Long after his playing days are done. And these two guys who's who's still are, by who, who still by the way got a woman so he drove by yesterday in a security envoy and a woman noticed that it was David Beckham and lifted up her shirt. Like right. it, okay. like it, like that, that is still the power that retired David Beckham has. Right. So you're talking about these two guys, Derek Jeter, if you could literally Take two guys from outside this market and say, sell Miami, okay? <laughs> you, you would pick David Beckham yes. and Derek Jeter, and nobody trusts either of them. No. And, it's all, and it's all because of Jeffrey Luria. Like, yeah. it, it's because we don't trust Jeffrey Luria. We shouldn't have trusted him all. We don't trust people in this city to make, A, smart decisions, or B, decisions that are not corrupt, right? Like Correct. we just, we, we don't believe in either of those two things after the Marlins experience to the point that Steve Ross had to go out and spend his own money to renovate the stadium. Which, know, is, also, which is also, by the way, what it should be. And, and, and that was also a sense that I left yesterday's meeting with. Now, for me, I think there was a lot of, there are two commissioners uh, I believe his name is Manolo Reyes, and the other was a, a commissioner named Willie Gort, whose district is actually where the the, the Mel Reese Golf Course is. And to me, it was like a self-involved no, right? It was like, well, you guys didn't tell me what was happening, and you didn't come into my community, and you didn't you didn't get me involved. It was it was a lot of me, 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 and that I'm not a fan of. But the guy who ended up being the swing vote that uh, that caused the deferment was a gentleman named Ken Russell, who is who's on the Miami City Commission. He's the vice chairman. And he actually articulated what is the correct, for me, amount of skepticism about sports deals, about what this is about. And so, at the very least, I left the political process. Yes, I was totally broken, and I'd been standing there for over nine hours, and I didn't feel great about much of it. But... At the very least, I love the sense of that guy is out serving his constituents and is the appropriate amount of skeptical about sports deals, and this just needs more time. And so I understood the outcome from yesterday, but there were definitely times where the Marlins played a role and, in general, skepticism and fear of corruption played a role. And by the way, I think those are good things. Like, even understanding that I want this and I've been waiting four and a half years for this ownership group to put together a stadium deal that gets approved, I understood what the commissioners were out to do yesterday. Yeah, and I get that. And, and I, I understand, you know, some of the opposition to this as well. Um, I think it's a little shrill at the moment. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean some, some of the stuff that's going out on Twitter – uh, by people that I respect, uh, you know, is 
over the top. Okay, so and to me, it's also the wrong thing. So if you look at what the commissioner that ended up fighting for, it is not at all any of the talking points that were out there in public yesterday. So most of them were about this this golf course and this youth program that they have there, and basically they figured out you know multiple solutions to it. There's a golf course a mile away from the Mel Reese Golf Course, Miami Springs Golf Course, that is also kind of owned by this by, by the city of Miami Springs. They can just move this program to everyone there who was advocating yesterday was advocating on behalf of this youth program called the first tee that mm. you know that, that that promotes golf amongst kids in this area it's a brilliant program i enjoy i really thought it was cool that they took part in the political process kids took part in the political process they were there from 6 a.m yesterday until 10 30 when the meeting adjourned so well done to them but they found a solution for that the things that were left on the table were three things number one there's concern and the miami new times has reported on this about the environment environmental remediation that's going to have to happen because there was a, a garbage incinerator that basically spread all kinds of toxic ash into the soil around South Florida and it's very difficult to sort of build on top of it and so the argument was the commissioner wanted to get assurances that there would be no public money spent on environmental remediation and Hori Mas basically said you have my assurance except for if it reaches a certain level meaning if the lakes are deep enough if this is a big enough problem, then we either need to find a state federal solution or we're not going to do the deal. So that was point number one. Point number two was Ken Russell was fighting for a living wage for every job that comes out of this project. He wants a minimum $15 an hour out of every job that comes out of the project. And number three was he wanted an assurance that if this thing started to make money, if this thing started to really take off, that the rent that the Moss Group were paying would escalate kind of every five years or sort of in an increment of time so that they weren't getting a sweetheart deal that made it seem like the city did bad business. None of those things were the things that have been talked about in public. None of those things were really the major talking points used by the opposition, and yet those were the reasons why it didn't pass through. So that for me was the frustrating bit is that you mentioned how shrill it is, but for me it's also how uninformed it is. And look, I didn't want to stand there for nine hours at a city commission, but I am now informed on the subject and the reasons why this either isn't or isn't going to go through. And I would encourage people to read the Miami Herald. Joey Fletcher, who covers the city, does a brilliant job. There were a couple of other Twitter Twitter accounts, including my own, at Pitch Invasion 5R, that were covering this yesterday, that had the real information about why this thing broke down. So how do we change the minds of others? Because I, I think what we're dealing with right now is just people who reflexively are like, Public land, Marlins. Right. No. We're, we're, we're just, right. And, and that the taxpayers are going to pay for this. No one yesterday there was concerned about, you know, in terms of the elected officials, about the bottom line dollar amount. So the mayor, Francis Suarez, as well, was talking about how the Marlins deal is going to cost us $2 billion and the Moss project is has a potential over the lifespan of its deal to make the city a billion dollars. And the difference in that is massive. But the most important thing that Jorge Mas said over and over again, and it's also incumbent on the elected officials to hold him to this zero public dollars. Like, that is a massive difference. And so you can sort of debate the merits on whether or not a no-bid deal is good for the city, on whether they could do more with the Mel Reese Golf Course, but you cannot make a comparison between this and the Marlins. And yesterday in our DM string, we even had someone who was sort of arguing on behalf of, well, this is a bad deal, we're, we're getting screwed, and you know, no, the, the city of Miami is going to spend money on this. And I'm like, 
If you can produce the evidence, if you can produce the rationale for why you're saying that, then I'm all ears. But everything that we've heard, and we kind of have to take them at their word, is that they're not going to spend any tax dollars on this. That's a massive difference. And yet, again, reflexively, people just sort of are inclined to think, well, this is going to cost us money and we're going to get screwed because it's Miami, because it's a stadium. And that's the legacy of Jeffrey Lurie and David Sampson. It is. I mean, it, it goes back to them. I want to read you something, too, because there's also some distrust, too, because of the heat, actually. And I, I don't think that this gets talked about that much because we talk about the Marlins. But I'm going to read you a piece from New Times. Now, this was late in 2010. So this was after LeBron signed. So this was as business operations were picking up quite a bit for the heat. So this was from the New Times piece. The agreement called for Basketball Properties Limited, the Miami Heat entity managing the stadium, to give 40% of annual arena profits above $14 million to the county. Those profits come from luxury box and concession sales, concert rentals, and naming rights, which at the time was $2.1 million annually from American Airlines. Additionally, the county agreed to pay $6.4 million a year to maintain and operate the facility. Then it says, although the arena's revenue nearly doubled from 25.6 million in 2001 after the Heat's first season there to 45.4 million last year, the team has never declared more than 6 million in arena profit during a season. And so I know that the Heat will probably dispute that. I think they disputed it at the time. But I just want to say this is kind of, there's just a general distrust. Because that measure, like you pointed out as well, was a yes means no and no means yes. And that's basically how they got it through on referendum. Yes, that was during the playoffs, the year that uh, there was going to be voting on it, that I know that a lot of voters were confused about what was what. And look, they did a brilliant job of promoting it and and getting the vote the way that they wanted it. But I'm saying it's not just the Marlins. It is primarily sure. the Marlins. It is primarily the Marlins. And but it's all, but it's back- also the fact that Miami Arena went up and within 10 years it was deemed to be outdated. Correct. Uh, right. I mean, though, and, and it's funny because they built the exact same arena in Orlando and that was deemed outdated uh, shortly after, too. So there has not been a lot of sort of forethought here on the part of either city officials, county officials or the teams themselves, other than like Jeffrey Lurie, there was a lot of forethought in him basically stealing a stadium, okay, and being able to bank out for $1.3 or $1.4 billion a few years later. So I understand the distrust. Let's just get to beyond the deal, because I think people get bogged down in the details of the deal. And I think what you're talking about is the right approach, like actually learn what's going on here before you speak out about it. But a lot of people are not going to do that. So let's just... (laughs) Right. I mean, just, they're just not going to do that. And it's some it's of, so some crazy of, that, that, that that's, that's an unrealistic expectation is to be informed. Well, I mean, we live in the age of fake news, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, again, yeah. I'm not going to go further on that, but I mean, how many false statements has the Washington Post chronicled at this stage? So look, obviously getting the truth out there, uh, facts should be facts and opinions are opinions, but we know people don't trust facts anymore. So let's just get to our opinion on this. Okay. Sure. And just what this particular enterprise would mean for that area. Because one of the things to me that is always overstated, and the studies have shown this, is this idea that if you build some stadium or some facility, that suddenly it enhances the rest of the area and a bunch of other really cool businesses start to prop up. Okay. So that model was basically based on, and I went to college in Baltimore. Okay. So I went to the last game at Memorial stadium in Baltimore and the first game at Camden yards. Okay. So 
And that was state of the art at the time, like Camden Yards. That was the crown jewel. In a lot of ways, it still is. Honestly, there were a bunch of other baseball stadiums, Coors Field, et cetera, that were modeled after it. And it was in a perfect, perfect location down by the waterfront area there, down by the harbor. And that revitalized. That area was already starting to revitalize itself while I was in college there starting in 1990. But when they built that stadium and that went up, I think, in 93, like it took off down there. Okay, and I think a lot of other cities have used that as a model. Look what it did for Baltimore, right? Baltimore, a city that we know. I mean, The Wire was filmed there, right? Like we know has a lot of crime. Okay, Baltimore does. I mean, we were told when I was in college, don't go to certain places at night. Don't go even to the medical school, the Hopkins Medical School, because of the area that it's in. Okay, so we know what it did for that particular area of Baltimore, that it really enhanced it. But we have found that in other cities that doesn't really work. Okay, I, you know, I look at Orlando, right? They built the new arena downtown in Orlando. They put a few little restaurants up downtown. It's not like Orlando is any more thriving, in my opinion, than it was before the new building mm-hmm. went up down there. And there's a lot of other cities that you can make that case. So what I like about this project is that it's self-contained. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not putting something like Marlins Park did in an area and hoping that a bunch of cool breweries break out. Okay, because that just that doesn't happen very often. And I right. know that was part of the deal in Overtown that it was close to Winwood and that some of that stuff has already happened. But I like the fact that this is an entertainment area. I've seen this work in some places like in Phoenix and not in Phoenix per se, but in Glendale. Okay. Where, where the stadium is and where the arena are. Okay. Not the sun's arena, but the, uh, the coyotes arena are in the same place. And there's a little entertainment area that sort of cropped up in the middle of the desert. Okay. And it's cool. And people do go there and I've been there to cover games. So I like this whole, I I like what Moss and Beckham are trying to do because to me, that's, if it's going to be in Miami, that's the way it's going to work. You have to give people other things to do there because in this market, you can go to Coconut Grove, you can go to Gables, you can go to South Beach, you can go to Riverwood, you can go to Hardwood, Hard Rock, you can go to Winwood, you can go even where I live in Pines, okay, the Pembroke Gardens, there's a, as you know, there's a mm-hmm. spot. There are so many of these self-contained entertainment complexes in South Florida that people like, they park, they do more than one thing. I mean, even look what's happened to Gulfstream, Chris. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I live right, racing, there. right. Horse racing is dying. But if you want to go there, you can, you know, you can bowl in an upscale bowling place. You can there's a kid's place there. There's like 10 restaurants. This is what you need to do. So I do think that their idea here is really sound. OK, and I'm sorry if you're losing a golf course. OK, yeah. But and I'm sorry if Ray Allen wants to play there and Ray did more for the city than any other athlete is like five <laughs> in history. OK, so I don't want to go against Ray Allen. But but if they're going to move this thing to the first tee, which is a very good program, I've done stories on it. it's a very good program. But if they're going to move first tee down the street, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Just build the damn thing. Yeah. And the thing is, is that so first off, and one of the commissioners made this point very well, to say that a country club is a public park is complete nonsense. And I, I'm totally with him. Like, you're, it, again, it's basically people who are territorial. And look, I'm territorial. Well, I've, I don't have territory, but I want to have territory in the way that I'm a soccer fan. And first off, someone pointed out on Twitter yesterday, there is nowhere in South Florida to play soccer for free without a permit. And so the fact that they're offering to do that as well is huge. But you're really only being territorial about your golf if you're arguing on behalf of this golf course and the fact that you don't want to see something go somewhere else. And so I just, 
I, I don't know what the opposition is in that sense. Obviously, there's economic sense and deal-making sense that I think the commissioners correctly have to work out. But as an idea, you're losing money on this golf course that charges $80 to get you through the door. I don't see that as such a public good, as such a public necessity in South Florida. Like, okay, maybe there isn't a golf course in the city of Miami, but like Crandon Golf Course is not far away. Miami Springs Golf Course is not far away. Like the golf element of this to me is is complete bunk. And so it really comes down to, do you trust these people to make this tax-free or, 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 or make this public money free? And do you trust them to develop this kind of cool economic area that isn't going to dramatically alter traffic in the area? And th- and th- now that's a big thing too. And I pointed this out on Twitter that the MLS schedule is, for the most part, Saturdays. And so that, for me, alleviates that concern somewhat. But on the odd Wednesday night when they play, they have to make sure that traffic is not even worse than it already is. I will make a couple of arguments, though, on behalf of the traffic thing. We say 836 is a problem. Well, 836 is one of the major highways that gets you to Marlins Park. It's, as a matter of fact, the only highway that directly takes you to Marlins Park. And it's also a major vehicle for people to go to heat games, right? If you're coming from the west, you're probably going to have to get on 836 at some point, or you're taking 95 south. So one way or another, you're using one of those major highways to get to heat games. So that's over 120 dates a year. We're talking about maybe two or three during the week. And the rest on weekends, like understanding that traffic in that local community could become a problem. And certainly if I live there, I'd want to make sure that I get assurances that it's not going to be that bad. But yeah, there are very few logistical economic arguments that to me make sense in opposition to this thing. It really only comes down to is the city getting a good deal? And that's entirely up to the commissioners and why. For those of you that haven't really read up on it, we're going to wait a week and they're going to have another special city commission meeting next Wednesday to continue discussions on these details and make sure that they're worked out before they go to referendum. The one thing I want to say before we close here about the shrill voices on this, again, a lot of whom I, I respect on a lot of different topics. But when when you if you're going to be that shrill about this then it gets harder to take you seriously on on the other stuff. So right, I, it's, right. on the important stuff, on the stuff that's actually corrupt. If you're saying this is corrupt, like this, uh, other than them waiting too long to release the renderings and the details, like there isn't a great deal. Like a, I didn't see corruption happening yesterday. Like that that wasn't the sense that I left with. And so you're right. Like when you start to say that everything is corruption, then everything is corruption, and you start to kind of lose your sense of real injustice. Right. And so, and again, thank you, Jeffrey Luria. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, I, I David think, Beckham I think, must like want to, like, first uh, off, uh, he sat there for five hours yesterday. I can't imagine what that experience was like for him. He drove did his in. Hair, did, it, did his hair move? No, never. It never once moved. But, yeah. uh, but he so drove, he drove into a woman, uh, you know, lifting, lifting her shirt and had to sit there as commissioners bickered about politics. Like that had been a wild experience for him. Man, man. All right. So, and this comes after England got knocked out in the semifinals of the World <laughs> Cup. It's a bad. It's a. It's a. It's a, it's a bad week for him. All right. So, uh, what we're going to do here? We're going to close this one here. If you want coverage of the World Cup final, we would recommend that you check out Pitch Invasion this week because Chris is going to be posting that before the final. So, the final between France 
and Croatia. So, uh, of course, Uptown report from our three yards per carry pod. Uh, <laughs> bet France from the very beginning. So yeah. that's the only reason I'm rooting for Croatia. Actually, <laughs> you, you don't want him to be right. You don't want to. I don't want right. him to be right, even though he gave me stock <laughs> tips uh, that worked, and he actually gave me one while we were doing this pod that would have made me 30 percent if I just seen it. Anyway, oh, uh, sorry so, about that. So with that, we're going to try this again in the future. Hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back next week with episodes with Dave McMenamin from ESPN.com with Joy Taylor from Fox. Obviously, you guys know her from her days at 790. And also with an episode, a Sun Sentinel Dolphins training camp preview with Omar Kelly and Chris Perkins, where we are just going to allow them to shout over each other. So (laughs) join us for those and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of the Fantasy on 5 podcast, part of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, letting you know that your fantasy football needs are covered this season. My co-host David Ganos and I will be leading you hand-in-hand through your draft and right up to Championship Sunday, offering our insight into the world of fantasy football. We'll also be inviting some of our friends from Sports Illustrated, Yahoo, and DraftKings. Look for us Tuesdays and Thursdays starting in July, wherever you currently listen to your favorite Five Reasons Network podcasts. Hi, it's Steve Goldstein, host of the Goldie on Ice podcast. If you missed our last episode, you missed Sportsnet Canada NHL reporter Elliot Friedman. Here's what he had to say about free aging John Tavares leaving the Islanders for Toronto. This is a guy who was really torn. I think right up until the end, he was looking for reasons to come back. And that's life sometimes. Don't miss the Goldie on Ice hockey podcast on the NHL and the Florida Panthers right here on the Five Reasons Sports Network.